You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Everybody and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I am your host, Ian. With me today, I have Harrison Hochichakro and Kieran Chamomile Doyle. How's it going, boys? Hola. Terrific. I am enjoying my chamomile tea in the uh, dreary Ontario weather. Mm, you know, this is like the first day of the year where I've had to like look at the heat and go, is it time? Is it time? And I'm fighting it as long as possible because, you know, heating bills and all that, this economy, you know? I don't want to do it, but you got to you got to maintain comfort. You know, I can't be podcasting sitting here shivering, teeth chattering. Michael picked that up. I it was 82 degrees on my my game on Sunday in the northwest. In the so northwest. I, I that's it's bonkers to me that that's that's what we're dealing with, but this morning it was, you know, a nice balmy 41, which you know, that, <laughs> that's what I want. It was 41 here too. I just had to look that up cuz I only know it in Celsius. Right. What is what, what is it in Celsius? Five degrees. <laughs> that's real. That's that sounds a lot colder to me. Does it, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. Well, that was the talking about the weather segment. That's we're famous for on the American Soccer Analysis shows. We do each and every week. We're going to skip the Teen Wolf segment this week, I think, because we have a lot of playoff action to discuss. Yeah, guys, I want to start with an open-ended question for both of you. Do you like the playoffs? Yes. Yes. Why? I don't know. Honestly, because I'm conditioned to as an American sports fan. Yeah. So I think Maddie said this in ASA Slack this week that because we were talking about kind of predicting winners and and some of the stuff we've looked at in terms of modeling, like who's going to win the playoffs and the betting odds and comparing to mm-hmm, 538. Mm-hmm. And like one of the really fun things about playoffs is that it's not just the best team wins. Like the the article about if you wanted to match the NBA in terms of how often the best team wins, you would have to play a best of seventy one series in the NHL. And it's I, I think that's part of the fun is that like you can go and and plucky Austin can go play a superior RSL team and come out on top. <laughs> now, now some people say some people have said that the best team winning the championship is good. How do you respond to that? I mean, it is. It is like at the end of the day, the best team does still win more often than not. Or maybe not more often than not, but more often than anyone else, specifically. That's true. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think it's like it's fun that I also think soccer is very weird in that because it's so low scoring, it's so matchup dependent that the overall best team could play like three really weird teams that match up well against them, but they're like the seventh, eighth, and ninth best team. And because they match up really well, like sucks to suck, you're out of the playoffs. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that's part of the fun. Karen, do you think in the last, like, <clears throat> let's say, like, uh, post Colorado's MLS Cup, has there been a team really that I, I, I don't feel like there's been a team that you can point to that you can say, well, they weren't really good. Like everybody that wins an MLS Cup is really, is still really talented. They're still a very good team, right? Maybe like the crew. Yeah, I was going to say that there was like that Portland crew kind of those two were a little the, bit yeah, the, out to me. The Portland crew final, neither of those teams were like amazing, but I don't, I think that crew team was still like good. I don't think they were. Like, that, that was a good crew team, actually. I think that was, I was going to say that, that was, that was kind of the peak of all their players really hitting everything. Like retrospectively, we can kind of look at it and be like, well, they never really did anything afterwards, but that team in isolation was really good. Right. That was like the Kai Kamara year, right? Like that was his. Big, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. No, I, I think Columbus was pretty good. I don't think Portland was probably anyone's pick as like the best team to win that, but you know, that's the beauty of the whole thing. Right. Otherwise, I, but, do it. but they weren't a bad team, right? They weren't. <clears throat> it's not like they were a bad team. They had, they had a lot of weapons. That was one that, of their better years, actually. Yeah, they finished with fifty-three points, tied for second in the West, tied for second, really overall in the Shield. Well, third because Red Bulls had sixty, Columbus Crew had fifty-three that year. Okay, I take it back. Those are decent teams. Yeah. So, like the year the Crew won MLS Cup was twenty twenty, right? Oh, I was thinking. Oh, okay. Oh, the yeah. year they won. Yeah, that was the year they beat Seattle. Yeah, so the, so they had like one, two, three, four, five. Six. They had the seventh best expected goal difference in the East. That was a weird year, though. Yeah, it was the COVID year. I didn't know. Yeah, I think we can. I I generally like whenever I'm looking at things, I just kind of take that whole year and just throw it away. Yeah, which is very funny. I think, but they basically had a zero expected goal difference that year, which so. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I guess Portland finished fifth. They were like fourth and fifth in like the overall big table that year. That was a fine, you know. And I mean, I think you could argue that in 2016, like like you know, our, our squad, the Seattle Sounders, were not were not the best team for a vast majority of that season. And I don't think anyone would have predicted that going all the way that it did. So you do see it, you know. No, but Toronto was Toronto was by far the just a, a juggernaut at that point in time. So I mean, it's not as if we weren't getting. You know, and yeah. Seattle's roster was really good. It's not, it, they didn't have a great season, but they had a really good roster. They had a really strong roster. Well, they got Ladero in the middle of the year and that kind of transformed everything. But that was a, that was a pretty dire, dire Seattle team up until that point. Like they had like a real turnaround there. And, you know, I think that that's just, you know, heart of a champion. I kid. Yeah. So, okay. I'm, yeah, I see what you're saying. I guess my, my take whenever I, I watch these playoffs and especially this year is like a neutral, it feels like it's a very, and I know that even the scores don't necessarily bear this out that we're going to talk about the games today, but they feel so cagey. Like, I just never feel like I'm super, like, watching amazing soccer. Like, I feel like I'm watching two kind of nervous teams sort of, oh, how can we how can we not make mistakes? And I guess, actually, it was pretty low scoring, all close games except for NYCFC kind of really outclassed Miami. But I don't know. From what I saw this weekend, I was just like, a lot of goalkeeper is making a lot of decisions, right? Like, <laughs> it was a very goalkeeper week for me. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of, like playoff ball at mm-hmm. at the heart of things going on. I also think we haven't had a group of playoff teams where defending has been maybe not the, I don't know, I don't want to say the emphasis of their identity, but like a lot of these teams have made their, their money being fairly organized defensive teams. I will say we also haven't seen the two best teams in either conference. True. Very true. Play yeah. yet. They are still um, to come. But I do think, yeah, there's a lot of defensive identities that have been put to the test so far. Yeah, And you just look at like <clears throat> at how quickly, like, especially in like a one game series, like I know like a lot of people 
we're like, okay, well, the, the major league soccer season is just too long. These two leg things are just ridiculous because it's usually decided after the first leg or they just don't do anything in the first leg. But like the one game is so such a coin flip, like a penalty, a red card. I mean, that's just, that can just upturn everything. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge, not a huge fan of variance. Well, I, I mean, that's kind of the, the beauty of it, right? Is that a one game gets to decide it. And then if you want to sit back and play KG mm-hmm. and, and try to eke out a win, well, I, you know, if that's how you want to put the stamp on your season, you're going to be judged by that. And I, I like that they're in today's era, especially, I mean, you look back at the Red Bulls this weekend, I feel like there's a lot of things that you can point to and say that they handled that wrong. They handled that game incorrectly from a tactical perspective. And I, you know, you, you could also kind of go the other way and you could say RSL and Austin had one of the best games of, of the year, not of the year, but of the weekend between those two teams trying to trying to duke it out between, you know, uh, a defensive shape and, and an attacking squad. So, I, I mean, in two different ways, I mean, it just it, it can put a capstone on your season and, and define who you are and how we remember you. Yeah, I mean, I guess <laughs> I think. When people say that, like that's the beauty of the playoffs, like I, I, I just don't know that I'm convinced that it's 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 beautiful unless you just really like chaos. Maybe I'm just not a chaos. I, I, I yeah, I think that it, it is fun, but it is fun. It is chaotic, and I think maybe it's yeah, okay. If you're the if it's your team that's playing chaos ball, I mean, as a Seattle Mariner fan, it, it, it's heart wrenching, right? And it it sucks at times. But at the same time, that's what you remember of the season, right? Those are the moments that you remember most. You don't, you don't remember these, you know, six to one or one to six, you know, wins or losses. Really, I mean, you kind of vaguely remember you got your, you know, you either kicked another team or you got kicked. But really, the exciting and the moments that we that we love players and and build these these really homage, these mental homages to them are in these moments. The, these close games, these tough fought and won games. And I, I, there's some romance to that. And, and I get that it's not always the greatest, beautiful soccer, you know. Montreal still found a way to have some really bright moments, Dallas too. But I mean, okay. Oh, well, I, I'm willing to sacrifice that, like personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think like there are still some nice moments that are worth like that kind of rise above the variance, so to speak. I also think, for the most part, all the better teams won. Like, I think Nashville and and the Galaxy is maybe a toss-up, but, like... Agreed. But the Galaxy are probably a better team. Nashville just have the best player. I think Red Bull is, like, kind of a watch. But, I mean, like, I, I, I'm probably going to end up saying a lot of the things that I wrote in my, like, once that way you will win MLS Cup and once that way you won't, because <laughs> a, a lot of the things kind of turned up this weekend. Yeah, they, they all kind of did in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, and, uh, well, let's 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 just let's go ahead and get let's go ahead and get into it. Like, let's 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 start with Cincy Red Bull two one Cincinnati. Congratulations to our to Pat Noonan and and, and the boys. You know, it's it, it's hard to remember just just a year ago they were still a punchline, and now look at them eliminating the proud joining the proud tradition of eliminating the New York Red Bulls from the postseason. Well, I mean, when you can bring Sergio Santos off the bench and completely change your game. 
from an attacking perspective. I mean, that's really amazing. That's really exciting. But the other side of it is that against Philadelphia, they're going to have to be a little bit hotter, a little bit quicker. They're going to have, Luciano Acosta has got to be more clinical. He has to be more consistent in those attacking, in those attacking areas and in those tight areas, because you know, Philadelphia is not going to give him a lot of space. So yeah, I, I, I think that it's a really fun matchup and to kind of go a little bit further on what, like Kieran said earlier, was, you know, I think we got the matchups that we wanted everywhere. Philadelphia versus, you know, Cincy is going to be a really great game. But to kind of go back to the New York Red Bulls and Cincinnati game real, real shortly, I also want to point out Lewis Morgan, man. Lewis Morgan was just basically stolen away from Miami. And man, the Red Bulls have a really dynamic player who's in his prime. Can you steal someone that's probably very happy to go? Fair, probably. <laughs> they did also trade like two million in allocation for him. This is was the it kind that of much? Big, yeah, I think I think it was a very big number. Yeah, it was not a small. I don't remember. I don't remember it being that big, but the, yeah, you know, Lewis Morgan is a very interesting. It was one point two million in general allocation money and five hundred thousand. Okay, a seven and five of GAM, so one point two. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think they, <clears throat> I would consider that a good trade for the New York Red Bulls. I think he's been very dynamic for them this year. He's a weird player because like our analytics don't actually love him that much. He's got, I guess when I last I looked like he had like the worst pass score, like in our, in our set. He's a, but very, he's a New York Bull. but he's a New York <laughs> exactly. Red Bull now. Exactly. I mean, right. no one, none of our advanced numbers like the New York, any of the New York Red Bulls. I mean, it hated Tyler Adams. So, I mean, at that, at a certain point, you just have to, you have to evaluate the Red Bulls under a different lens. I feel like when it comes to certain metrics and, you know, Lewis Morgan is going to generate chances. He's going to get into the attack. He's a high octane player. He's going to do, he's going to help in your press. Those are things that they value and, you know, they don't value turnovers, especially turnovers in the attacking realm because they're just going to press it and try to win it back. Yeah. And I do think there's like a certain amount of, not a usage problem, but like a Red Bull don't really have the attackers to make an attack function. So you end up with like a lot of Lewis Morgan just like dribbling or collecting second balls and trying to go straight to the goal as fast as possible, where it's like we've seen kind of if you peek behind the scenes of, of G plus a little bit, being able to complete things efficiently matters more than volume sometimes. And I think, yeah, Red, the Red Bull style and the way they attack is just like a total drain on him. But at the same time, I think... Analytically, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, I think like if you look at some of his other more traditional metrics, specifically the defensive ones, like you just get crazy output from this guy. Like it's you you don't get that level of defensive output from people who score as often as he did does, like very often. He also smashed his XG this year. That's a different thing. The Red Bull, as an organization, seems to do this well, in my opinion. Like, they seem to pick this guy out and just go, like, they took, like, you know, like a guy like Amaya or whatever, who was someone that was just kind of like, eh, and they made him a good player. Like, he fit that system really well. They were like, this is a guy that we could do something with. And, yeah, I, I've been impressed with that trade for sure. I, I, I only bring up the analytics just because it's interesting to me. But I, but I do agree that he's a very good player. Um, yeah, I, I think this game was pretty interesting overall, though, and I think it, Bring some interesting things moving into Philly next week for Cincinnati, where, like, yeah, like you said, Harrison, like, it's very surprising. It's maybe not that surprising, but I don't really know why Philly got rid of Sergio Santos. Like, I, I still don't really understand 
what was going on there. Like, okay, I know he's maybe a not extremely reliable finisher, but he is like obviously very good at playing very fast in transition and making runs behind and getting pretty good shots all the time. So I still don't really understand what's going on there. Well, he's a good chance creator too, if I'm not mistaken, right? He is actually an extremely good chance creator. He has, I mean, we saw that with him putting that ball in for, for Brandon Vasquez, right? Yeah. I actually think he was last I looked was like two weeks ago. I looked at this. He was like the top XA for 96 for strikers, which is always a really fun thing when you have these strikers who make really good final third decisions and not just like Sergio Santos could take that XA and turn half of it into XG by just shooting himself. But by making good decisions in the final third, it maximizes things for your team, especially when you have like him and Vasquez both going in space and transition is like just very cool to see. It was really funny to do. I was working on this article a couple of weeks ago that was basically just looking at like G plus plays and like how they kind of measure up. And one of the few games we had that week was a Cincinnati game. And Sergio Santos was like, He did the very best and the very worst things, like all during the same game. He's a very interesting player to watch because you just don't know what's going to happen. But when when the good things he does are so good, he's just a very, he's so, he's he's kind of like, you see streakiness and consistency and inconsistency kind of take place over like a large volume of games. But I feel like he can do it within like 20 minutes. And that's a really interesting player to me. He Sergio Santos to me is one of those players that we say this with college recruiting a lot where in Canada we can only get players who aren't quite good enough to play NCAA for some reason or another. And I feel like MLS is similar in that you are finding players who are really good but are flawed in some way because if they weren't flawed, they'd just be playing for like Newcastle or whatever. And Sergio Santos is one of those players who is like really, really good, but he is also fatally flawed and he will never play for a Premier League team. But you're like, I can look past this. It's fine. <laughs> we can live with that here in Cincinnati. We have three wooden spoons. We can live with this. The real fast off-season story for New York Red Bulls is, are they just going to get rid of Patrick Klama? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what his contract situation is, but I can't imagine that he's someone they're going to be fighting. To I mean, should, should, shouldn't somebody go and save him and rescue him? Doyle had a really good tweet this week saying, like, Samala is exactly the kind of guy that Philadelphia are going to trade basically nothing for yeah. take him off Red Bull's hands and he's going to score 12 goals to next season. I want to I I say right now he stole that, from, that from, from the back of my head. Like I was thinking that when he tweeted it. There and, you go. We but, know Doyle has this technology. He does. But uh, I, I totally agree with that. And, and I was just curious if that's a sentiment you guys share or if that's something that perhaps is skewed. I mean, again, it's always hard to tell for me, like, for the reasons you mentioned with 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 Red Bull numbers, but my sense of Klamala was just that he was fine, and I think with a little bit better luck, he could have been good. But he just didn't really have the goals this year for whatever reason, you know. And I think if you're you're Rebels and you're looking for that guy that's going to be at the very end of that quick attack and just like finishing it reliably, it's probably not the guy for you. But it's just his first season, so I, I, or second season, I guess. Did he come in the middle of? last year I feel like he came at the end of last year yeah yeah so i it, it's yeah <laughs> i would not be surprised if if someone tried to grab him and, and found a better way to use him kamal is really weird because like we look at sometimes stats that are predictive of other stats so like xg is generally predictive of goals but in strikers we see like receiving g plus or box touches or progressive passes received are generally predictive of xg and he's this weird one where like his 
season is broken telephone of his stats where his receiving and his box touches and his all those sorts of things are all amazing. And then his XG is just like fine. And then his yeah. goals is terrible. <laughs> it's, really, it's, really, it's really confusing to figure out where on the chain things are breaking down. It seems well, like that's kind of that's why I wanted to ask you about that because I I totally agree with that and that's that's something that I noticed and in an indirect sort of way yeah it seems like he did play a ball all of 2021 he got actually more minutes in 2021 than he did in 2022 just to be to be clear to correct to correct myself on that one but about statistically the same so looking we've talked a lot about the New York Red Bulls but <laughs> they're done overall do you think this game the result was good on the balance of what you saw yes. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think, again, Red Bull kind of ran into the same problem where like a team sits fairly deep and they don't have good solutions and they are struggling to both manage transitions and get sufficient numbers forward to hurl themselves at the wall that is the opposition block. Mm -hmm. And and then if you don't execute on your set pieces on the day, that's just where you end up. Yeah. Doyle had another tweet, and I don't want to keep going to him because you know who gives a crap what he thinks. But you know, you gotta, you can be a fast-paced, energy-filled team, but you once you're in possession, you have to have an understanding and a tactic to know how to deal with it. And FC Cincinnati put them in a situation, as Kieran just said, to where they are going to have to come up with ideas in the final third, and they just didn't have any. And that's that's hugely an issue. And it's been an issue for what going on two, three years. This isn't new. You know, this midfield has to, I I don't think it's about the personnel. I think it's about the tactician behind the the midfield. I think they have to come up with better ideas on how to engineer chances within the, within kind of the, the quasi half court offense. Right. So here, here's my, my Red Bull question. And I feel like we're spending a lot of time on Red Bulls is like, do they care? Because I think like we've seen this with launch and squish and with like these very heavy, not anti-possession teams, but like they're using the press as a playmaker and they're like, well, we can't afford the 15 million Ivertinian, so we're going to kick the ball and run hard. And I think I look at it and I'm like, are they just fine with being fifth every year and making the playoffs X years in a row? And like, that's, they're just fine with that. And that's, this is a success. Then they'll keep churning out academy kits that they'll sell for $8 million. Like, is that just what this is for them? That's a great I think point. It, I think with them, it's a little different because there's they're part of like a large sporting conglomerate. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that the people that actually are in like overseeing all of this may like have different sort of priorities for what that organization is. Whereas if it's just your only team, you're just like on your own. You know, if you're not winning the trophy, then people are going to be like, you know, we need to like invest more. But I, I don't really know that Rebels are like that. They've kind of succeeded in spite of that this low cost thing in the past. And I, it'll be curious to see how long that can be like viable in this league as we kind of continue to see like the, the talent level, like, like rise overall. So, yeah. and anyway, they lost Cincinnati going forward to the next round. We will watch that with much interest, but let's go to our next game. I have LA galaxy and Nashville. This was, I thought I did not know which way this one was going to go. And I think that at times it could have gone either way. But on the day, you know, the just just a little bit more quality from the LA Galaxy, right? I feel like they did a really good job of just suffocating Hani Mukhtar, right? Mukhtar was only involved in three of the nine chances that they created. It it it, it just showed to me that they have a little bit more cohesive midfield and 
defensive sturdiness than what they've had in the past. It's not like Nashville's going to have 60% of the ball or, you know, Haney Mukhtar was just going to be able to pick up that whole team by himself. You know, they have Randall Leal, Teal Bunbury, who actually, I think it was Bunbury that actually had more XG than than Haney Mukhtar. And it's it's funny to say Teal Bunbury, like, is going to be a weapon. But, I mean, realistically, he is. He has been for New England for years. And, you know, coming to Nashville, that, that was a, that was Part of the plan was to him to be an underrated tool and weapon. And the reality was that they really needed Hany Mukhtar to, to, to be magical. And LA Galaxy did a really good job of suffocating and preventing him from really going anywhere. And I, I kind of put a lot of that on Gaston Brookman, like going into this game. Like I didn't know very much about it. Maybe I'd seen him for maybe 45 minutes, maybe. And I, he was kind of an afterthought to me. And I thought he was excellent. Yeah, I think, I think one of the funny things is we talked about the Galaxy a few weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. Vanny has a midfield he needs to like do the things he wants. And then, and I think at that point, Ricky Puig had, or Pooch or whatever had played like two games, and Brookman had hardly played. And it's like, nope, Brookman, Delgado, Puig is just like disgusting. And I think they did a really good job, like you said, of denying service into Mukhtar. And I think Puig did a really good job of dictating transitions where I think Blazek at the end of the game was only something like one, and they admittedly didn't really attack much after they got their goal. But I do think there's more worlds where like this ends up two nil, three nil, than there are worlds where Nashville come back and win two one, for example. Let me ask you this: If the strangle all chances out of Handy Mukhtar strategy was this effective, and theoretically, seems like it would be because we know what it tremendous like rate of usage he has for that team what keeps other teams from doing that to nashville it's hard not having the midfield to do it i mean just kieran kieran i'll let you talk here in just a second but just like to give him the props that he just talked about that was something he he kind of lamented about like he said with greg vanny and and vanny's just not had the midfield that he's needed to and to have that type of engine to be able to provide that type of stability and structure to your defense yeah, it's really hard. And I, and I think there's like a few things. I think one is that like you have Brugman who's like pretty traditional six and you also have Delgano playing as an eight who's like played a lot as a six. So if Mukhtar drifts into a wide area and Brugman has to go follow to pick him up, it's pretty easy for Delgado to go fill the space that the traditional six would be in. So you're not really compromising your structure to do it because you have the players who can do that. And I think... The other thing is that we've talked about Gary Smith a lot on ASA Slack and his crossing fetish. And like normally I don't, I'm not super fussed in terms of, I think it's fine. You don't have as good players as other people. That's fine. But I do think he was like pretty conservative with his starting 11 choices, especially in midfield. And even with going with Bunbury with the second striker next to Mokhtar is like, okay, like, you're really not getting a lot of shots, especially when your midfield is going to be Sean Davis and Munga and Randall Leal. Like, it, do you want to see Fulberg in this team somewhere, whether that's as a wingback or as a second striker or as or in a 3 4 3 or something like that? I, I don't know. Like, that's the one to me where I'm like, no, you probably could have been a little bit less conservative with your lineup choices, where if they're really going to lean into taking away Mukhtar, you have other options. And I think when Schaffelberg came on, like he comes on with 25 minutes left and Nashville take like six of the last seven shots of the game or something like that. Two things. 
one, in fairness, Dax McCarty came on too. And Dax McCarty had the most progressive passes and out of everybody in that midfield, including those that had played the entire game. So like Dax changed the game from an attacking perspective, from a deep lying perspective. And it's kind of sad that he's at a place that he's coming in as a sub and not being there, you know, for 90 minutes anymore. But two, Gary Smith was actually not at the game. He was sick. Oh, really? Yeah, so he was actually, it was actually the assistant coach that was escaping who it was. But yeah, that might speak to the the weird lineup choices. So yeah, there you go. So from a broader perspective going forward, one thing I'm wondering about is that we've seen a lot in the past of of teams in Major League Soccer making this mid-season sign, bringing somebody in, two people in or whatever, that just completely changes them from like an all-star ran to like an actual competitor. And I know that like, LAFC got all the attention for their acquisitions this summer for a lot of reasons. But is 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 Bridgman and 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 Puig is are, are they possibly those guys that took LA from just this whatever to like a oh these guys might not be messing? Around. I I don't know. It's weird because at least in the underlings, it doesn't look like it. Like the Galaxy were pretty consistently something like the fifth best team in the league, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really change after they get there. But I do think it makes them significantly more difficult to prep for where I think before with some of the midfields again Ravelison was like pretty good before he left I think it was a little bit easier to kind of key on Delgado and try and deny progression that way and or there was like a very big reliance on someone like Victor Vasquez who is like Victor Vasquez is great he's also like 37 and I think having the ability where like if LA it was nil nil in the 70th minute or it's they're down one nil having the ability to start those guys who are great and then your like already good starters are now bench subs is really nice. I, I, I'm really excited about the LA versus LFC game. And, and mostly because this Puig versus is, is going to be such a dynamic fight. And the added pieces that you're getting for LA Galaxy, I don't feel are, I, I feel like they're just now really getting integrated. And so I think some of the underlying numbers, we, we don't know. I don't think that we can really say. However, my gut instinct says that this team will go as far as their attackers carry them, which is crazy to say about an LA Galaxy team, right? Especially one that has Chicharito, but you also have Kevin Capral, who's Man, my heart aches for him every time he touches the ball. You, you have this Douglas Castot, who obviously is a just an absolute shadow shade of himself. You know, he of course the irony was you know of Nashville losing to a, a headed cross. Man, like the, man, irony. But I think that LA Galaxy can be a really strong opponent and compete for an MLS Cup. But I think it kind of lies there with those attackers and whether or not they're actually going to step up and be those players, those high paid players that they're that they were brought in for those assets. But man, and Puig, man, that sh- that's shades of Tuesta and Ladero a few years ago. And that was that was a great game. And that's kind of it's probably unrealistic, but that's kind of what I'm expecting out of this game. Right? I think one one of the really fun like Danny things is that. At TFC, whenever they were like reasonably even on talent, he was pretty aggressive in terms of team selections and styles. And I think like we might get a crazy game Thursday. Like we might get both of these teams say like, screw it, like let's just go. There's I don't like if we're talking about the KG game we saw this weekend. I'm not expecting that game to be KG. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I agree. I think it was going to be wide open. 
All right, let's move on to game of the week. This might be, I think this was the most interesting one. Our biggest fans, Austin, to Real Salt Lake, to Austin, of course, take it in penalties. So this is a, a very, this is a Pavel Mastriani team and Austin. So this is like the anti-analytics bowl. And what did, what did you think of this result? Was, was, it, was it fair? Did, did Austin, did they make a good showing of themselves in this match? I, I felt like they did. I felt like, you know, everything that we've wanted from Drew Now, granted, there's 50 friggin' crosses in the game. And there's some really ugly attacking moments, but at the same time, there's some really amazing dynamic moments, especially from Drusy. And like from our underlying numbers and the things that we want to see Drusy take good shots and get into attacking locations, he did all those things. I feel like, and and not only that, but Diego Fagundes had a really great game. I I just feel like from an attacking perspective going up against an RSL team that is going to bunker is incredibly is an incredibly difficult task and you know what they created a, a shot after shot after shot yeah they they missed that that opportunity on the back post what towards the end of the game and then they had to be helped out by the the handball by Scott Caldwell but you know what they they get those opportunities because they're consistently creating chances at least in that game. And for me, it stood out as to that's how they won the game. Sure, they had to do it in penalty kicks, but beating a team like RSL in the playoffs, I mean, it's it's shown. I mean, when the RSL gets to the playoffs, they're never an easy... I mean, Seattle, LAFC, like they consistently beat very good clubs. That's what they do. They're giant killers because of the way they play tactically. So I, yeah, I like I didn't have any problem with it. I thought that I thought that how they responded was uh, was really strong. Also, they were aided by being a man up for the entire second half and all of extra time. So the, well, this, this yeah, I, this is my thing. If you are going to come at me and say scoreboard in a game that you tied two two, having an extra player for seventy minutes, get out of here. So I think okay. Well, I'll, you know they they could point out their tremendous XG total if they believed in XG. They did. They, I, I somebody did. <laughs> He's like, absolutely. We won the XG for this game as well. So thank you very much. Which okay, now you believe in XG. Fine. No, I just I think there's a couple of things, right? Like I think until the red card, I think the XG was something like one point two to point two. Yeah, looking at this chart here, they were pretty much dead even at the half XG wise. Yeah, so like it, it was not, it was not. To be fair, now to be fair, like RSL did have a penalty there too. So yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, and, and not only, and not only that, but they had been beat. They had beaten RSL on shot count at that point in time as well. So yeah, they were taking bad. They were taking low XG shots as an opportunity to try to get in a shot before RSL had set their defense too. And I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll probably, I'll play the Austin fan. I'll play the yeah. counter argument. Yeah. And, and like the RSL penalty is not a dangerous situation. Like it's a weird handball. Yeah. It's like barely even a handball. Yeah. I hate that. I'm getting so tired of that call. I, I don't know. I, so like, I, we should really get Emma's ref that's on here at some point, but it's like, it, I, I, there's only there to receive the cross. It's not a handball. Just leave it. Anyways, I, I think like Austin did a pretty good job of can opening a, a, a back 10. Like they were defending with a line of five and a line of four, and that was it all the time. And I think they did a pretty good job of managing the transitions and like not, I think it would be very easy to, to like push both fullbacks high and put all your midfielders high. And then all of a sudden you get caught 
in transition by like Saverina or something. And I think they did a pretty good job of like, it's going to come. You'll be fine. Like the goal come, the goal come, the goal come. And I'll say again, like to bring it back to this is why Austin will win MLS Cup. Drew UC played like an MVP, as Anthony Precourt said. He was really good. And then you add Brad Stuver makes a really good penalty save. And I think that's just like, that's it's good. Good for them. I think they deserve to win. I think it would have been believable Schadenfreude if they had 4XG and lost 2-1. That would have been and I'm very, dis- ironic. very disappointed. <laughs> okay, let me say this, though. What's funny to me is that if any of those Austin fans that were flaming you last week read the second sentence of that article, it would have described exactly what happened in this game. 100%. It's true. He was amazing, and Brad Stuver played well, and you won. That's how you win in them. Yeah. Brad Stuver was very good. Let's, let's like, every every year we throw, if someone's going to throw out the Tim Melia reference, Brad Stuver was Tim Melia-esque in every single way, shape, and form. If that's what you want to, you know, Stefan Fry, you know, throw him. There was shades of all that yesterday, and, and or the Saturday, and that was really good. I like, Get it, man. Get it. Yeah, he he was he was legit. And I think the interesting thing going into them playing Dallas to shift their focus to the next round is like I think they're they're playing Dallas, right? Am I wrong in that? Austin versus Dallas, correct? Yeah, I I think they're like a a pretty good matchup for Dallas. Like I don't think Dallas shoot playing them at all. So like I wouldn't be surprised. Like if you made me pick between the two now, even though I'm like a quasi FC Dallas fan for the rest of the playoffs, and I totally celebrated. Queen Yon's header off the uh, off the set piece. Like I would probably pick Austin to win that game. Well, hold on. They they really specifically asked you to keep doubting them, Karen. You can't, you can't <laughs> go back. I on did. The I did say keep that I doubting them, Karen. I did say that I would keep doubting them. Yeah, you did promise. I want to be fair to RSL before we move on from this this game because I don't want to give anybody the sense that that I think. Or I think that any of us possibly think that the way that they went about this game was wrong sitting back because they did. They got the lead super early. They were a man down. They were on the road protecting a result. I would have lined up five and four as well. And it almost worked. They almost got through it. And other than that weird handball call, you know, they're they're celebrating. It's really it's I think RSL played the game virtually perfectly until Rubio Rubin decided to go slide what the goalkeeper what was no that reason. what there was, that? was so weird and, and not only that what's really frustrating is he had the opera like this was his opportunity to kind of have it coming out party here in the second half that's what was rsl was in a close-up shop and he was going to be able to just run on through and create some opportunities and he's very good he's a he's a very solid player for RSL and I feel like maybe people have kind of forgotten about him and this was going to be a really great opportunity and he just that was just a silly slide stupid slide man that's like what um, you used to do when you got mad in FIFA like back when they let you <laughs> it, it's true you just slide tackle the goalkeeper and they only give you a yellow because the game was funny that way but like it's so weird so one of the things that I think is interesting is the last game of the season on decision day uh Mastroni started Rubio Rubin hadn't scored a goal in like six months, some, something ridiculous. And he scored on the final day. And Ben Olsen was talking about it on FS1 or whatever and was saying how like sometimes you have to get it right tactically and technically, but sometimes you have to get it right emotionally. And I think it's very easy to look at it and be like, man, he scored on decision day. Like we're going into this playoff game. I know we've been running with like Cordova and Saperino for the most part. And like we're not like... You've been on the outside looking in, but like you scored, you're going to play, you're going to do the thing. 
And then he just G's himself up into, into the double yellow. And it's very start. unfortunate. All right. You know, someone for RSL real fast. And I gotta I gotta reference this, Ian, because this is somebody this is your boy, right? Was back in 2019, Jorge Moria for Portland Timbers. The what probably one of the only Portland Timbers you've ever talked about on this podcast, very kindly, who just absolutely would rip up the right side from fullback. Brody took a lot of what did a lot of those similar things. And, you know, I thought he was a really, really good player for RSL in that game. So just just throwing that out there. Look at that, Andrew Brody getting the shout out. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what Austin does against Dallas. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for that, obviously. Let's move on to our last few games here. We're going to have to go a little bit quicker on these, unfortunately. Montreal 2, Orlando 0. Montreal, I think, was definitely better value for the win here. I, I, I wasn't too surprised by this result. Personally, did anything stand out to you in this game? I thought this was kind of just services normally. I thought Conan was really good. And I think yeah, he's been like a little bit lacking polish. Like He's a, a kid very clearly playing his first legit senior season and as a as a canadian fan it was quite nice to see him kind of shine a little bit where even aside from the goal like i think he just had a couple really nice moments i sort of feel like with orlando that they are just i don't know how many pieces it is but i feel like it's not a lot like i just think they haven't quite gotten i think they're close to like going over this hump and becoming like an actually really reliably good team which isn't surprising, I think, given like Pareja, like, you know, there's a lot of motion that's been there. But you look at these guys like, like, like Connor or whatever, like, like, they're just like, they just haven't quite gotten those pieces just right yet. I would agree with that. And that's what I was actually going to say. I was actually really disappointed from Orlando. Like, I, I know that they were going to come in and muddy the game up a little bit, but even when they did, they really didn't turn it into transition moments. Maybe they, they did that one time towards what the middle part of the game, I think around the 40th minute, they had a really good look. But uh, Kara had the had the shot, very similar to the Kone goal. And then Antonio Carlos missed the header. It was hashtag headers are hard. Outside of that, they didn't. They just looked like they hoped it would go to penalties. And it was a little disappointing because I I do think they have some really exciting pieces. And it was, you know, it, it was sad to see them just kind of lock up shop and try to get lucky on, on a couple of pieces. And I think that they're just a few pieces removed, Ian. I, I really do. I agree with that. If if MLS turned into a fantasy draft, how long would it be before an Orlando player was taken? Quite a while, right? <laughs> no, thir- third or fourth, third or fourth round. Because I, I would tell you right now, I, I would probably take Perea. I would probably go and scoop Perea up. But that's but that's saying like there are a hundred players you like more than Orlando players if it's fourth round. And yeah, third or fourth. Yeah. And, and that, so, okay, 70 players, whatever. But I think, like, that's telling. I think they have a lot of really nice pieces, but, like, they're just pieces. They don't have anyone I look at, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy is going to win Orlando the game. And even when I was when I was writing, that's very fair. Like, I don't, yeah. like, Car, I think Erkan Carr is really nice, but he's also, like, a pretty old-school nine who, like, doesn't really create shots for himself. He gets shots from others. But then they also don't have the dude who's going to create a ton of shots for them. They bought that like really expensive winger from Uruguay, and like I don't really know if he's done anything. So I don't really. He, he was he struggled a lot in the beginning, and I, I think he kind of came into himself a little bit towards the end of the year. But so I look at it, I'm like, I just don't. Yeah, like I think Pereira is really good, and I think they have a lot of really useful people. Like Jao Moutinho is like they want they destroyed LAFC in that trade. In, with the benefit of hindsight, like that's just yeah. an awesome 
Chuan pickup to get for like it cost you Munir El Hanadi. So like I well their back their entire back line is really it was really strong. And Galese is good. Galese is good. His, yeah, absolutely. I think he's actually good. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, yeah, and like like here's I think that back line's a little bit underrated too. Carlos, you know, has had a little bit of have had you know he missed a lot of this year with injury, and I don't think he quite got to the form. But I think even like last year, he was somebody that I would I would have considered a in in the towards the upper echelon of MLS center backs. So Robin Hand, uh, Robin Jansen, really good, really solid. You know, are we still all in on Montreal? Did, did they give us any reason to change our our, our little quiet dark horse pick? The whole thing. No, I'm so. I, I think I'm. I think I'm even more all in now. Yeah, because I think I had questions about like their ability to play against the team who would muddy it up, and I think all the teams who would muddy it up are gone now. Yeah. So we'll see. Georgie looked. Georgie looked pretty good. Lassie Lapalainen, love that man. I think he's yeah. our highest fullback. Or wing back by G plus in the whole league. Yes, yes. At least, well, he is on that side. At least I think. I can't okay. Who the one I was looking at? I think someone came up just ahead of him. But basically, yes, he's he's that guy. All right, let's move on. Once again, Montreal. We got a short change here. Sorry. Let's go to New York City, Miami. New York City, very dumb here. Three nothing victory. Miami. You know, with Miami, I kind of just feel like you made the playoffs, guys. Great job. Like considering everything and, and, and like where that franchise is. This was a, a very familiar-ish looking NYCFC to me, like something that we'd seen in the past. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I think that they, I had some question marks about like where the goals were going to come from post Tati, and especially post Talos Magno shoulder separation. But like Pereira and Rodriguez are like that dude. Like both were great. Yeah, uh, and like Maxi is still. Very good. And I think for them to put in that level of performance without Keaton Parks, who has been very largely the like bellwether of is Keaton Parks on the field? NYCFC are good. Is he not on the field? They're bad. It was like pretty nice for them. Haber was really good too. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Haber again. Like he, you know, before Castellanos came, like he was amazing his first year. And then he got an injury and they had to do something. And I, I, we just, I don't think anyone was sure whether Haber was going to come back and if he was going to come back the same player. Yeah, he seems to have started to find that and taken on that role again, which is really, really nice to see. So, yeah. I loved the late sub of Pellegrini. That was my favorite sub. Who do NYCFC have next? I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't have a bracket in front of me. They will be playing the winner. Oh, they have Montreal, obviously. Yeah. That game is going to be very fun. Yeah. Go to the great Canadian North and see what you can do. Yeah. I don't think there's like a lot of analysis to be here. Like with Miami, just they're just not quite good enough yet. You know, that was a tough. Well, they, the, the thing with Miami, I think is like you got fined and you had to lose a DP and Blaise Matweedy has to go to pump crawls in his team tracksuit, but it's not allowed to play. And like just getting the playoffs is a good win. I think the maybe interesting and difficult thing with them is like their team's actually really old. Mm-hmm. So like, Okay, yes, you made the playoffs, but like Higuain is gone. Other Higuain is gone. You have like Kieran Gibbs is still playing. Have Pozuelo is 30 and his contract is about to expire. And I would be shocked if they renewed him. Like, I just don't know what your next steps are. And they feel very primed for like the thing we see with expansion teams who like their first three years doesn't go great. Is like three years later, nobody from the first team is on the team anymore. Right. So I don't know. Center back is a huge problem for them. Like they've got yeah. a lot of they got a lot of roster decisions. 
Which is kind of sad because if you think about, you know, some of those initial purchases, some of the young players, if they pan out, like this is, you know, this is a really great moment of transition to where they go and get a couple DPs and they accelerate. You know, you got Ariel Lasseter, you you have you have G Moda and you have Gregory and you know, even Bryce Duke, you know, coming on created a couple op- options, you know, they got him from LAFC on the down low. And I think that that was a really smart move. They have some really interesting pieces, but yeah, I, I agree. I feel, I feel like they're really missing some impact level players. And with the DP problems that they're going to have, this is, this is a team that's going to run into some issues the next couple of years. And they're probably, they're, they're probably going to have to kind of go into rebuilding and re and sell off some of the interesting pieces that they have so that they can, you know, fund those seasons once they get back into, and they kind of restore some of their, uh, some of their cap and some of their DP slots. Right. Yeah. All right. Our last game we had, I believe, I don't think I missed any FC Dallas won Minnesota one FC Dallas, of course, wins on a very saucy penalty. Alcalasco. As the number one Dallas FC fan in FC Dallas, excuse me, fan in the world, Karen Doyle, there, how, how was it? Very fun and very stressful, especially when Babello scored his second and it was offside. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh my God, you just equalized. Wake up, please. But it was a fun game to watch. Like Minnesota are really weird in that they're like the prototypical MLS 2.0 team where they're like, we're going to get a really good 10 and nobody else. And if that guy's good, we're good. And if he's not, we're not. And like he scored a banger that pays pause. Maybe you should have done a little bit better with, but he was like at it. And then I thought Dallas were like kind of not great, but kind of not great. And able to get through that is pretty nice. I think the biggest problems for me as a devout FC Dallas fan are like Paxton Bomb has maybe a hamstring tweak. Ferreira has like maybe a problem in extra time that he plays through to finish the game. And that's totally why he missed his chance. And I think like they're also just like maybe not that talented. So like we'll see how it goes. Minnesota really was very, very poor, I think, on the day of it really was down to 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 just Reynoso and his ability to conjure up and repeatedly, I think, trying to conjure up something from nothing. And I think they had like well, they had, yeah, 0.3 XG on the day. That's it's not gonna. It's not usually going to do it unless you're at Real Salt Lake. And, I thought yeah. I thought Robin Lode was okay. Like it, I, I think putting him in the field as like a ball carrier is interesting. But like Amaria, Amarillo, Amarilla, Frank Abane, yeah. and Longwane, the South yeah. African guy. Like they just get nothing, and that's a lot of money on three attackers to just get nothing from them. I feel like the the Minnesota like. Loon's version of remember these guys is going to be like super hard in like seven or eight years. Like you're just going to be like, oh, this guy easy. Like what? And that guy was a DP. Like what? Who? Yeah. I also, I also kind of, kind of wonder if like I know some of these guys had like decent underlings before they came to MLS. I kind of wonder if Adrian Heath is just a little bit passe at this point. Yeah. Well, we've been wondering that for. His entire ten years in this country's coach existed, so we'll we'll see. But they think, I mean, you know, if they made the playoffs. Like that's hey, that's pretty good. All right, let's a big picture here this week. We have what do we have on the docket? Can, can I drop? Can I drop one last Minnesota thing? Yeah, you can drop. I'll I'll, I'll, pull, I'll I'll pull Tom. I'll be a Tom Bogger and I'll break news. Break some news. Mi- Minnesota nearly traded Dane Sinclair in the off season. They had like a pretty big ask, but I know a few teams called 
And like, can you imagine where they'd be if they didn't play Dane St. Clair? Not be a good spot. Yeah. I, I mean, they might, they might have, they might have won the, the penalty kicks. He's a, he, he is a historically good penalty kick saver, even as he had a bad day. Yeah, I, 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 I'm taking a cheap shot. He, he was really, ta- he was really good from open play, and then he just kind of had some, some bad setups. Well, I hope, I hope Jordy us from that Velasco penalty because <laughs> him, him lunging, like awesome, waving, like oh. des- desperately reaching as it sails over him. Oh. It's just it's the worst. Air fuel. It's just the worst. Like I, he didn't deserve that. No one deserves that. I'm as cold-blooded, that young man. All right, so on the docket coming up this week, we have Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Montreal, New York City, Austin versus Dallas, LAFC versus LA. I think probably the marquee matchup we're all going to be looking at is, of course, the El Trafico. But other than that, is there is there anything that, that that's your game of the week? El Trafico is the one Montreal NYCFC is like the sicko's favorite. Yeah. And Cincy Union could be like real. These are real, really interesting looking games, actually. Like even Austin yeah. Dallas is going to be an interesting matchup. P- people were calling Austin Dallas like the neutrals favorite, which I definitely don't think is the case. But it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I, I do think yeah, I think all the games are pretty good. And I also I'm at a point where like other than Cincinnati and Austin, if any of these teams won it, I could like squint and be like, okay, yeah, at the end of that, let's do our most popular feature. Kieran, you got trivia for us this week? I do indeed. So I will preface it with. The- Six questions are centered around the eight remaining teams in the MLS playoffs. So as as our winner last week with a triumphant comeback, Mr. Never Lansing, forget. Never forget. Number, uh, would you like to go first? Give me number two. Number two, our Montreal quick. The last time CS Montreal were in the conference semifinals, they defeated another team from New York, the Red Bulls, 3-1 on aggregate across two legs in 2016. Name the player to score a brace in the second leg that sealed their advancement to the finals where they lost to my beloved Toronto. Ignacio Piatti? Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. I'm one of the world's biggest Ignacio Piatti fans, so I would have been disappointed if I hadn't gotten that one. 2-0 to Mr. Lambison. Gaston Brugman, can you make up the difference? Probably not, but let's go for it. Let's say number four. Number four, with their playoff streak of seven years, including this year, NYCFC had the third longest streak of consecutive playoff makes behind two teams, one of whom who lost their streak this year and one of whom who did not. Name those two teams. I feel like it's the Sounders and the Red Bulls. Wow, you guys are on it today. It is indeed the Seattle Sounders and the New York Red Bulls. Seattle had made it every year of their existence prior to this year, and the Red Bull had made it every year since 2010. Yeah, it's going to be a long time to catch up to break that one. Yeah. Yeah, All right, we're going to take question number six. Number six, FC Dallas are one of the three founding members to have never won an MLS Cup, while the Union are one of the eight teams to have never won it that just weren't founding members as expansion teams. Name the other nine teams to have never won an MLS Cup. So I'll give you one point if you get half of them, and I'll give you the second if you get all of them. All the teams to never win MLS Cup? There's only nine. There's only nine. Red Bulls. Are you sure? Wait, do we count like we are including the, the their parent franchises? So Inter Miami and Miami, whatever they were called before that, are the same. Dallas and Dallas Burn are the same. Okay, All so right. I'll, I'll excuse you on Metro Stars. Okay, Orlando. There's one, dude. Well, no, because like Chicago won it really early. 
I don't think New England has actually ever won it. I think they've been to a final a few times. New England have indeed lost five finals and have okay, won. That's, that's extremely sad for them. <laughs> Seven more. Okay, let's just get easy ones. Charlotte obviously haven't. Yeah. We can't say, okay, well, Miami doesn't count. Minnesota have not. Correct. Uh, Nashville have not. Correct. Vancouver? Correct. You have one more. Uh, two more? I don't know if you've said one of them. I think one more. And then you're good. Oh, uh, LAFC? Yes. And uh, the other new team, Austin. There you go. There's. It's actually 10. I just can't count. New England, Vancouver, Montreal, Orlando, Miami, Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh, you didn't say one. Sorry. It's 11. I lied. I really can't count. One. I have butchered this question. I think it's because I looked by metropolitan area and not by club. And that's why some of these teams did not turn up. They're in the playoffs now. Will be my hint for you. Still. Oh, did I, did I say Philadelphia? Well, I said the Union were one of them in the question. The oh, yeah, 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 expansion yeah. team were in the playoffs right now. And they've been historically very bad. Oh, Cincinnati. There you go. Okay. All righty. Two points. What a, <laughs> what a bad question. My apologies. That's good. Four to two. Harrison, you are up. To be fair, I want to be fair. Like If you had said, are you sure about the New York Red Bulls, I would have said yes. So I don't know if you want to take that away from me. No, I'll, go, I'll, I'll allow you your two points. Okay. should absolutely <laughs> take it away from him. I, I'll take number six. He just did number six. So you have five, oh, three, five. one. Okay. If Austin are to do so, they would become only the third team ever to make MLS Cup Finals in their first two years since expansion. Name the other two. I'll go fire. That is correct. DC United. Incorrect. I could steal. I've excluded founding. I've excluded founding teams because that's they're all their. Oh, okay, that's fair enough. Uh, okay. Go ahead, steal. Like steal. Atlanta. It is indeed Atlanta. One point. Wow. Five to Ian. He gets his first win and he's ready to go. Number three or number one? Give me number three. If FC Cincinnati are to win MLS Cup this season, they would have the worst winning percentage in the regular season of any winner all time. Name the current holder of this record. I'll give you, I'll let you have just club and I won't, you won't have to say the year. Okay. Lowest winning percentage to go on and win MLS Cup. Yeah. It, I feel like there was a really dumb one. Was it Colorado? It's a good guess. I think they were third, but no, it was not Colorado. Harrison, you like to steal the Seattle Sounders. It was not the Seattle Sounders. I was gonna, it gonna was go. RSL in 2009. Uh, yeah. Winning percentage of 37. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I believe that's RSL. the one that was played in Toronto in the cold and Hamas and Olave scored penalty win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He did. That is correct. Wow. Harrison, if you get this last question correct, you will draw 5-5, a very respectable score. Are you ready, my friend? Uh, I'm not going to, but yeah, let's do it. I think you could. I think think this is a good question. LAFC and LA Galaxy have faced off previously in a playoff edition of El Trafico, with LAFC emerging victorious in a 5-3 win at Bank of California Stadium in 2019. Three designated players scored in that game across both teams. Name all three of them. Oh, and I have apparently written it down as you get one point per. So if you get all three, you would win. Not even draw. Well, uh, okay. So Ibrahimovic. Uh, there's uh, two for the draw. And I think it's Brian Rodriguez. Ooh, heartbreaker. Ian Diaz. Neil yes. to win. Hold on. It was, you said Ibrahimovic. You said Vela. And there's one more that scored. They Just scored, a DP though, right? They scored twice in this game as a designated player. Oh. Who are there? I'm going to I never to remember this guy's answer. name. Okay, I'm just going to say, was it one of these weird games where Atuesta scored? It was not Atuesta. It was Diego Rossi. 
Diego oh. Rossi. How could I forget Diego Rossi? So the trick of this question is that Pavon scored, but Pavon wasn't a DP. He was on that like weird broken contract where I was going to guess. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. so it's a draw. Five-five. How amicable. All right. That's fair enough. I, th- I do want to say that you're going to give him one point for each of those. And I got nine answers right on one of my <laughs> That's fair. And actually, yeah, two bonus ones. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you actually got eleven out of nine. <laughs> well, okay, we're calling five I'm, and a quarter to five. I'm happy to. I'm happy to accept one point from this from this fixture, Harrison. If you are, <laughs> well, folks, that was all we have. We enjoyed this week of playoff soccer, and we'll hopefully be back next week to talk more about how this thing is progressing. I want to thank everybody that tunes in and listens and downloads and rates and reviews and all those things you do for us. We really appreciate it. You can find my co-host Harrison on Twitter at Harrison or Crow. You can find Kieran on Twitter at Kier Doyle. That's K-I-E-R-D-O-Y-L-E. And you can find me on Twitter at a handle for e- follow American soccer analysis on Twitter. That is at analysis evolved. And please visit the webpage www.americansocceranalysis.com. We should have some updated playoff projections for you this week. I think maybe a couple more articles. I think I got one going up there this week as well so please do check that out and if you want to support the show support the website support all the data and everything that we try to provide for the american soccer viewing public please visit our patreon at patreon.com slash american soccer analysis and for just five dollars a month you can join our discord that's just something we have for our, our the people that, that support us it's a good way to kind of you know just hang out and chat meet other analytically minded soccer fans and uh, i really enjoy it in there we got a lot of really cool people so we, we'd love to have you it's a great way to support the show we really appreciate it that is all thank you again Again, and we'll see you next week. Until then, enjoy the soccer.
On the chaise long, on the chaise long, on the chaise long, all day long, on the chaise long. 